Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Hope you had a great Christmas and New Year's. Uh, my wife and I decided we wanted 2021 to end as soon as possible, so we were in bed by about 10, 30, 11 o'clock on New Year's Eve. I don't know if that just means we're getting older or wiser, neither, both, I'm not sure. But here we are, 2022. Uh, two quick announcements before we dive in. First one, uh, here at Northbrook, we have a uh, two different reading plans for the new year. Uh, so the first one is read through the Bible in one year. Um, so maybe if you've always wanted to read through the Bible in a year, just never done it, maybe this is your year. Uh, we have it all laid out for you in um, this. You can find this, uh, a digital copy of this online, or these are in the lobby after the service. Um, but great opportunity to read through the Bible in one year. Um, if that sounds a little uh, ambitious, maybe a little too much for you, we also have read through the New Testament in one year. Uh, some of us did this last year, and that is this is back again. So if you are interested in reading through the New Testament in one year, you can grab this in the lobby, or again, you can find this in digital form online. Um, but just a reminder... The reason that we do the reading plans here at Northbrook um, is not to give you one more thing to do, uh, not to put pressure on you that if you're going to be a good Christian, you got to do these things. If you want to earn brownie points with God, you really should read your Bible. Like, none of that, right? Like, the reason that we offer the reading plans is because we want to do everything we can to help you grow in your relationship with God. And so if you pick up one of these plans, just a reminder, the goal is not perfection. The goal is growth. The goal is growth with your heavenly father. And so I uh, don't pick this up and then just feel this weight of like, oh my gosh, if I get behind, like God's going to be mad at me, like I'm going to fail. Not at all. Uh, the goal is growth. So even if you fall behind, you miss a couple days, it's okay. The goal is not perfection. The goal is growth with your heavenly father. Second announcement, uh, our new MB Life magazine is available uh, for January through April, and so uh, those are available in the lobby or in digital form online. Uh, we've got a lot of exciting things coming up here at Northbrook, and so I encourage you to check this out. Also, uh, I'm very excited about this year's, or uh, this, uh, this edition because our Northbrook Next Gen team uh, put together the main article in it. And uh, for parents, or perhaps even grandparents, um, you will notice there is a tear-out in this uh, edition. Um, it's called the Winter Family Fun Plan. And so what we did is we uh, put our heads together and we tried to come up with a bunch of fun activities that you could do over the winter. Um, and so our challenge to families, uh, parents, is that you would read through all these activities with your kids. It's for kids of all ages, so from little ones up to teenagers, and then sit down as a family and pick four to do throughout the next four months, so one per month. And again, these are just fun activities, uh, simple things like uh, going to a Bucks game, grabbing a board game, and going to a coffee shop. Um, so simple things to more elaborate things, um, but encourage you to, uh, to do this. And of course, the goal again with this, uh, one of our values here at Northbrook is uh, fight for the heart. Which is the idea that parents, as you create quality moments with your children, um, as you spend quality time with them, you build that influence in their lives so you can speak into their lives. Um, I know as a parent, I just want to be able to speak into my kid's life and expect them to listen regardless, but it doesn't work that way. And so the more that you can build quality moments with your child, um, the more that you're going to be able to influence them and speak into their life. And, uh, and it's how God designed it. So I encourage you 
fight for the heart, be intentional to create some memories uh, over the next few months, and if this will help, um, make sure to take a look at that. All right, so here we are in 2022. Um, I don't know about you, but 2019, into 2019, up until this moment, has kind of felt like one big roller coaster ride. I don't know if anybody else feels that way. It's like uh, we entered into 2020, and all of a sudden there was these twists and turns, plunges, dips, people screaming around us, and you're kind of like, I don't know where we're headed, what's going on. And the problem is, as we enter 2022, is I'm still not sure where we are on the roller coaster ride, right? Like, is the roller coaster ride ending? Like, are we slowing down? Are we getting off? Or are we all going to die? Like, we're not sure what's going on in 2022. It's very uncertain. And so uh, I was thinking about the uncertainty of 2022 last month, and Pastor Mike asked me to speak today, and he told me I could speak on whatever I wanted, uh, because our series, our January series starts next week. And so I was praying and thinking about the uncertainty of 2022. Um, I kept coming back to three questions. Uh, three questions that I want to spend some time this week uh, wrestling with. Three questions and the correlating answers. Because I believe that these three questions can give us peace, certainty, confidence, joy in the coming year, regardless of our circumstances. But here's the thing. These three questions, you can't just know them. You just can't know the answers at a head level. You got to live them at a heart level. And so my challenge as we go through these three questions over the next few minutes, for many of us in the room, for those of us that have grown up in Christian homes, for many of us, we're going to know the answers. We're going to be like, yep, I know this. But my question to you and my challenge to you to wrestle with as we go through these three questions is not do you know this at a head level, but do you live this at a heart-soul level? So, you guys ready? ready? One of you's ready. Everybody else ready? Thank you. And that was not the first question, by the way. It was a Saturday afternoon in 2012 in Iceland. A tour bus of about 50 people stopped near Iceland's Elja Canyon for some exploring and photo ops. We have a picture of the canyon. Beautiful. After a while, uh, everyone got back on the bus, but one woman. One woman did not get on the bus. She had not returned. So the bus driver waited for an hour. She had still not returned. There was no sight of her. And so the police were called. A description of the woman was given out to the police and to the people on the bus. Everyone got off the bus, began a search for the woman along with the police. They searched for hours. No sight of her. Then the National Coast Guard was called. A helicopter was asked to be flown in. It was delayed because of heavy fog. The search continued into the night. They brought out flashlights. They continued searching for the missing woman. Midnight came. No sign of her. One o'clock, they couldn't find her. Two o'clock, still couldn't find her. Three a.m., finally, a breakthrough. One woman from the tour, asked again for the description of the person they were searching for, and she realized she was searching for herself. The day before, she had changed into different clothes at the rest stop at Elgin Canyon. When she got back on the bus, the bus driver didn't recognize her, and he miscounted on the head count. He was short by one. And so that entire time, the police, the Coast Guard, 50 people were searching for a woman that had been with them the whole time. Now, 
As funny and as unlikely as that is, that story relates to my first question. Because if we're not careful, some of us will spend part of 2022 desperately searching for a God that has been with us the whole time. And so my first question for you today is simply this, where is God? And the answer is, he's with us. As we go through life, it's not that God's far away, but it's often our awareness of his presence that is sometimes lacking. We lose our peace, we begin to worry, we become anxious, we fear, and we feel as if God is far away. We feel alone. Or we think God is disappointed and uninterested in our lives, and so he's far away, and we have to do something to get him to show up in our lives, when in fact he's been there the whole time. This idea of feeling distant from God, feeling as if God is far away, is as old as time itself. It started with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a perfect life in the Garden of Eden. It was good. They were connected to their Heavenly Father. And then they ate the forbidden fruit. And you remember what happened after they ate the forbidden fruit? They tried to hide from God. They felt shame. They felt disconnected. And they tried to hide from their Heavenly Father. There was a, a disconnect. And from that, mankind entered into a world of feeling as if God was distant, removed, far away. And that belief was passed down from generation to generation. But every once in a while in the Old Testament, we see a glimpse of individuals who comprehended the reality that God was quite close. In Genesis 28, a man named Jacob is traveling and he goes to sleep and he has this dream where God comes to him. And the writer of Genesis says this about Jacob in Genesis 28, 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. The Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. I wonder how many moments in our own lives was God in our life, and we weren't aware of it. I wonder how many moments we have interactions with people, we have situations that happen, and God is very much there and present, but we are unaware of it. But there's a progression that happens in Jacob. It's easy to miss, but a few chapters later, Genesis 35, it's years have gone by, and Jacob is told by God to return to that place where God appeared to him in a dream. And so Jacob tells his family that he's going back. He's going to build an altar for God at this place. And he says to his family, now remember, before he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it, but now he says to his family, I'm going to go back to build an altar for God who has been with me wherever I have gone. Do you notice the transition? Years before it was God was in this place and I didn't know it. And now Jacob says to his family years later, God has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob has become more aware of the presence of God that is with him wherever he goes. First Kings 18 The Jewish people have followed a false god named Baal or Baal, and they think Baal dwells far away and occasionally makes appearances in our world. And the prophet Elijah gets so sick of this of this false belief that he challenges the prophets of Baal to this royal battle. 
And he says to them, we're going to build an altar. And if you can get your God to bring down fire, well, then he's the true God. But if I can bring, but if he doesn't and my God brings down fire on the altar, then my God is the true God. And so they have this royal battle, this challenge. And the prophets of Baal go first and they try to get Baal's attention. They dance, they scream, and they even cut themselves with sharp objects, causing themselves to bleed profusely, all in an attempt to try to get this God's attention. And Elijah gives us the first ever recorded instance of sarcasm. So for those of you in the room that are a little sarcastic, you can just say that you are following in the Old Testament prophet's footsteps. Or maybe not. But Elijah says to them, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're cutting themselves, and he says, guys, I think you need to get louder. Maybe Baal is deep in thought. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's on vacation. And Elijah, Elijah, that's some serious trash talk going on. He says, maybe you guys need to get a little louder. Maybe that's going to do the trick. But nothing works. And eventually, it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah prays a simple prayer. He doesn't like try to get God's attention, doesn't scream, doesn't yell. He prays a very simple prayer to the God he believes has been with him the whole time. And fire comes down and consumes the altar. In Psalm 139, David writes these words. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Sure, knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. David writes and he says, there is nowhere he can go that God will not be there. God is before him. God is behind him. God is in all things. God is present in everything. David understands it's not about being good enough. See, that was the perception in the Old Testament, that if you were good enough, perhaps the gods would pay attention to you. If you were earnest enough, if you sacrificed something, perhaps the gods would pay attention to you. But David understands it's not about earning anything. It's about receiving the gift. God's presence is with David. David says, there is nowhere I can go that you are not there. Fast forward one one last Part of scripture, the book of Acts, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul travels to Athens, a place with a lot of ideas about the gods, lots of idols, lots of belief systems. And notice what Paul says, or maybe notice what he doesn't say. Paul doesn't say to them, I've brought God to you. God was missing. I'm bringing him to you. Here he is. No, instead, Paul says, let me introduce you to a God who's been with you the whole time. You just didn't know it. Acts 17, verses 23 through 28, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. 
The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul said, Paul says, God doesn't live in a temple. God isn't someone that just shows up in your life sporadically or you go and visit. Paul says, in God, you live and move and have your being. God is in everything. And I'm not bringing a God to you that, that wasn't here before. I'm simply introducing you to a God that has been with you your whole life. You just didn't know it. So if God is everywhere in everything, what is our role in this? To pay attention. To notice. Have you ever had a moment where you thought you were paying attention until you realized that you weren't? This past year, we, uh, we bought a, a new van to us. And um, I know some people don't like minivans. My sister-in-law refuses to drive a minivan. And let me just say, I think our minivans are awesome, okay? Like, our minivan has the, the stow-and-go seating. So, it, like, the, the, the seats just, like, flatten into the floor, and our minivan becomes a truck. How many trucks can turn into minivans? Not many. And uh, it's got the sliding doors so that your kid can't, like, open a door and, like, smash the car next to you, which may or may not have happened in my Chevy Equinox many years ago. And uh, this minivan has a sunroof, so, like, my wife and I are cool again. At least we think so. And uh, so I love our minivan. And we bought this blue um, Chrysler Town & Country. And I'm, I'm being completely honest. Now, if you had asked me before we bought our blue Chrysler Town Country, how many blue tight, uh, Chrysler Town Countries there were on the roads, I would have said, yeah, they didn't make many. I, I honestly thought that there's a lot of white vans out there, there's a lot of maroon vans out there, but there aren't very many blue Chrysler Town and Countries. So we bought it. There are a lot of blue Chrysler Town and Countries. Like, in fact, even one of the bonuses I told my wife, I was like, well, if we buy this blue van, it's going to be really easy to find in parking lots because there's not a lot. And you, I've, there's been like five times where I've walked to a blue van and I've almost gotten in and I've been like, oh, this isn't my van. Like, there's, apparently there's a lot of blue vans out there. Now, did more blue vans just start appearing out of nowhere after we bought our, after we bought our blue van? Like, did people just start driving more blue vans? No. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that there were more blue vans, it was that I noticed what had been in front of me the whole time. Have you learned the art of noticing God in your everyday life? See, here's an important truth. You don't come to church to be with God. You come to church for community and to learn and be reminded about a God that has been with you all week. You may just not have noticed. As Elizabeth Browning puts it in one of my favorite quotes, earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees it takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. I love that. I think a modern-day translation would go something like this. 
earth's crammed with the presence of God. And every common interaction is full of God. But only he who sees it notices. The rest sit around and stare at their smartphones. Do you notice the presence of God in the everyday? Will God be in your life in 2022? Absolutely. The question is, will you notice? The question is, will you see it in the interactions with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers? Will you be aware of it as you wake up, as you go to bed, as you walk, as you eat? Will you be aware of the presence of God in your life? Or will you be distracted and miss it? Some of us as a spiritual practice may want to make a habit each morning of taking a few minutes to soak in the presence of God and remind ourselves that God is going to be with us as we go about our day. Others of us may want to make a timer that goes off every hour. I know some people that have a timer on their phone and every hour it just goes off and it reminds them to take 60 seconds to be aware of the presence of God and to remind themselves that in the next hour that God is going to be with them in their interactions That God's presence is with them as they go about their day. Okay, so that's the first question. The next two are going to move much quicker. So here we go. Question number two. I heard a story about a young man who had a very rocky relationship with his parents. Eventually got so bad that he told his dad that he wished he was dead and he wanted his inheritance. So the dad gave him his inheritance And the young man went out, he was a brat, he spent it all, he wasted it all, he ended up broke with nowhere to go, and so he decided to go back to his dad and beg for a job in the family business. Now, if the story sounds a little bit familiar to those of you that grew up in church, yes, I'm referencing the story of the prodigal son in scripture. You know, we've heard the story of the prodigal son so many times, I think we lose some of the meaning. Jesus tells this story, it's this fictional story that Jesus comes up with to make a point, actually multiple points. But in this story, Jesus says that there's this younger son who goes to his father and demands the inheritance. Now, in Jewish culture, basically what that younger son is doing is he's going to his dad and saying, Dad, I hate you so much, I wish you were dead so I could have your money. It's a very disrespectful thing to do. And Jesus says that the father actually gives him the money. Now, this wouldn't be just going to the bank and taking out money. In Jesus' day, all of your wealth was tied up in land and livestock. And so what the father would have had to do was literally sell off some of the family land that had been in the family for generations, sell some of the livestock. And there's no way he was ever going to recoup all of that and give it to his son so his son could leave. And so his son gets half of the family wealth and he goes off. And he wastes it, right? He just blows through it. He ends up broke. And he decides there's a famine in the land. He's hungry. He decides maybe if I crawl back to my dad, my dad will, I'm not worthy to be a son, but maybe he'll put me to work, working for him. And if you're a Jewish listener to Jesus' story, so far you're tracking. But here's what you're expecting. You're expecting, based on everything you know about the Old Testament, about how God works, about uh, you reaping what you sow, right? Consequences, justice. You're expecting that younger son to come back and the father to say, shame on you, you're getting what you deserve, get out. That's what you're expecting to happen in the story, right? right? That, is, that is what you're expecting to happen. That is what's fair. That's what's just, right? You shouldn't be that son. Moral of the story, don't be an idiot, right? Like, that's what you're expecting, That's not what happens. Jesus says the younger son comes back and the father sees him down the road and the father runs to him. Now, again, in Jewish culture, distinguished fathers never run. They never run. 
Because they're wearing these long robes. For a father to run, he would have to like pick up his robes, almost like a skirt, and go running. It's very undignified. Like fathers would, a father would never have run, especially towards a son that just blew all his money. But in Jesus' story, the father runs to the son. He hugs him and he puts a ring on his finger, signifying, you are a part of this family. You are my son. And then the father throws him a party. It's crazy. Now, what do you think that Jesus is trying to say about God? So here's the second question. What is God like? Answer, God is love. See, for some of us, the problem isn't a knowledge of God's presence. Like, we're very aware that God is always with us, but we're just not sure about his intentions. Right? Like, like maybe God is like Santa Claus. Right? He's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. So be good for goodness sake. Right? Like, he's got his... Elves on the shelf, or, or I mean his angels, watching you, reporting back. And if you're bad, you're going to get coal. If you're bad, he's going to give your number out to more telemarketers. You're not going to get that good parking spot at the mall. Right? And, and, and if we're honest, it's like God's with us, but we're not so sure if he likes us. Right? It's kind of like when you show up and you have a family member that comes over, and you always walk on eggshells around them. And it's like, well, I know they love me, but I sure feel uncomfortable when I'm around them. That's kind of how we view God. It's like, yeah, I know God loves me, but he's watching me, and it's kind of creeping me out because I'm just waiting for him to punish me. But the story of the prodigal son reveals something about our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is the type of God that loves us so much that even when we mess up and disrespect him and squander his money, when we come back, he throws us a party. What is God like? God is love. 1 John 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. God is love. He loves us. He likes us. He's with us, and he's for us. And perhaps for some of us, there's an opportunity as we enter 2022 to go from a head knowledge that God loves us to a heart soul knowledge, deep down truth that God loves us and is for us. And maybe this week as a spiritual practice, some of us may want to read the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Or maybe, maybe for others of us, maybe this sounds extreme, but maybe for others of us, maybe others of us really wrestle with, does God really like me? Does God really love me? Does God really for me? For those of us in the room that wrestle with that because of past mistakes or things we've done, I encourage you to take a piece of paper, an index card, and here's what I want you to write. I want you to look at it every morning. God wants to throw me a party. God wants to throw me a party. Jesus says when that younger son comes back home, 
the father throws him a party. God is love. Moving on to question three. So our oldest daughter, uh, Charity, absolutely loves animals. And for over a year, she's been begging for a bearded dragon. And uh, we have a dog in the house. We're like, you know, our family's complete. We don't need another pet. Um, but she was persistent. Like, she wrote essays, as in multiple essays, researching it, how much it would cost, how she would take care of it. And her most recent essay, she was very wise. She wrote in there, she said, if you get me a bearded dragon, it will keep me off screens. It's like, wow, you know your parents well. Well played. So, um, so eventually, she started to wear us down. And when I say wear us down, I mean she wore my wife down. I was on board the minute she said dragon. But uh, my wife is the voice of reason in our house. So it took a little bit longer. You know, Charity was like, can I get a bearded dragon? I was like, you got to work on your mother. Good luck. I'm on her side, but good luck. And uh, eventually, eventually mom wore down. And so over Christmas, Charity got to go ahead for the bearded dragon. And so we brought home Skywalker uh, this past week. There's a picture of Skywalker. He is, uh, he's a baby. He's two months old. Um, and so he eats about 20 crickets a day, live crickets. And he's going to grow to about two feet uh, long. So um, we're excited. We love Skywalker. He's got a personality. He, he chills on me and watches uh, football. So I'm already training him um, to uh, raise them up the way they should go and all that. So um, very cool. Um, but uh, you, on a un- completely uh, unrelated topic, you know, Pastor Mike um, over the Christmas Eve services mentioned that they got a puppy. I don't know if you remember that. You know, they got a, they got a puppy. So um, I am going to be wearing a T-shirt in the office this next week that, um, if you go to that, it says, you got a dog that's cute. I raised a tiny dinosaur. <clears throat> Not for anyone in particular. I just... <clears throat> when I was a kid, I saw this Nerf football. Uh, it was orange, it was a Nerf football, and it was in the shape of a brain. It was awesome. It was amazing. Orange was my favorite color, football was my favorite sport, and I mean, a football that looks like a brain, I mean, that's every kid's dream. We have a picture of it. The orange Nerf football, I had to have it. I was so excited when I finally got it. I remember carrying it everywhere. I slept with it. I didn't take it outside. It was an indoor football because I didn't want to get grass stains. You can't get grass stains on an orange Nerf fo- uh, brain football. Like, you know, everyone knows that. So uh, I was very protective of it. Didn't let my friends touch it. It pretty much just sat in my room, and I carried it around. But it was awesome. Fast forward a couple years, spring, I was looking for my baseball glove, I couldn't find it, so I decided to tackle the disaster that was my closet. I was digging through my closet, in the very back of my closet, I saw this little orange thing, I was like, what in the world is that? I grabbed it, it was the orange brain football. Completely forgot I even had it. Now, what does the bearded dragon and the orange brain football have in common, besides the fact that they're both really awesome? They both can't be where we find our joy and contentment. Temporary things will only give us contentment temporarily. I know it's so easy as human beings to look to temporary things to give us peace and joy and contentment. But if we rely on temporary things to give us peace, to give us joy, to give us contentment, We're in for a pretty bumpy ride. Which brings me to question three. Question three is, what do you lack? And the answer is, nothing. 
See, as, as kids, we, we rely on bearded dragons and nerf footballs for joy, contentment. As adults, we move on to little more mature things, right? Like jobs, relationships, money, health. But the story is still the same. If, if we enter into the new year or we enter into any season believing that we're lacking something, and if we can just get that thing, then we'll be content, then we'll be happy, right? If I can just get that relationship figured out, if I can just get that job, if I can just get a little more money, if I can just get this health situation figured out, if I can just get this one thing figured out, then I'll be content, then I'll be happy. The truth is, even if we get that thing, we may be content for a little bit, but the reality is we won't stay content. It's just the way the world works, just the way humans work. When we rely on temporary things for our contentment, we're never truly content. We have to look to something a little deeper than temporary things for our joy, for our contentment, for our peace. Listen to David's words in Psalm 23. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David writes, he, said God, he says God guides us, he provides for us, he protects us, he's our shepherd, and we lack nothing. See, David understands an important truth, that ultimately we find our contentment, our peace, our joy in our relationship with God. And when we can really get to that place where we can be content in who we are in God, we can say that we lack nothing we can get to that place, then we can have joy and peace no matter what the world throws at us. We can live in the abundant life that God promises is available to us despite circumstances. Now I get it. Now some of us in the room are like, well, John, you don't know what I'm going through. I, I get that. Is it wrong to have goals in the new year? Is it wrong to strive for a better job or a better relationship, better health situation? Of course not. Sometimes God places on our heart desires to improve ourselves or, or to open up a business or, or go into a new relationship. Like sometimes, sometimes those things are meaningful and good and God pushes us to do those things. But understand, if we are relying on those things for our contentment and our joy and our peace in 2022, eventually we will be disappointed. The only place we can find true contentment and peace and joy is in our relationship with our Creator. And so as we enter 2022, we lack nothing. And it's not that we have to do any of those things to become content or peaceful or joyful. The truth is we can do those things because we are content, we are joyful, we are peaceful, we have everything we need. And so from that place, we can go out into the world and we can live fulfilling lives and we can bring God's kingdom down to earth and we can pursue the dreams that God places in our hearts. But it's not because we're desperately trying to achieve something for contentment, but rather we are content and so we can go out and live our lives to the full. And so as we close this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know which question resonates with you. But my challenge to you is to pray through and think through if there's an area of your life where you may know it at a head level, but you may not be living it at a heart level. As you enter into 2022, may you know at a heart level that God is with you, that God loves you, and that you lack nothing. 
you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love. And as we enter into another year of uncertainty, I thank you that we can be certain that you are with us and love us and that you're at work in what we go through. Father, I pray for those in the room that are experiencing hardship or or trials, um, frustrations, anxiety. God, may they feel your love and your presence as they walk out of this room. May they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are with them and that you love them and that you are at work in what they're going through. We just give the year ahead to you, Father. We thank you that you are good and we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.